So the real challenge is, how do veterinarians like us, who don't have the time, resources, or financial backing of a multi-million dollar company, who are faced with irregular work schedules, on calls, and emergencies, how can we facilitate our own personal and professional growth so we can continue to offer superior service to our clients while still remaining competitive in today's market? That is the challenge, and this podcast will provide you the roadmap to its solution. I'm your host, Dr. Eric, and welcome to Operators to Owners. If you like this content and want more, you can stop by the Operators to Owners website at otovets.com. There you can sign up for our community at otovets.com forward slash Facebook. You can also consume some of our original content at the blog at otovets.com forward slash blog. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time, OTOers. Welcome back, OTOers. Today's article is very insightful. It's I don't want to say theoretical, but it conveys a new and exciting point that might be a turning point in calcium management in cows. Today's article will convey a new understanding and classification for subclinical hypocalcemia. And again, the article is titled Association of Transient, Persistent, or Delayed Subclinical Hypocalcemia with Early Lactation Disease, Removal, and Milk Yield in Holstein Cows. It comes out of the Journal of Dairy Science. And for once, I don't have to list a giant list of authors. There's two authors, McGart and Navarese. And I think I actually pronounced them both right this time. But the research is coming out of New York from Cornell and from Purdue. And it's a previous Navarese study that's actually being broken down into kind of a different way. So it's using previous data, breaking it down again in a different way. So the objective of this study was to assess the association of early postpartum calcium status groups, classified as normal calcemia, transient subclinical hypocalcemia, persistent subclinical hypocalcemia, or delayed subclinical hypocalcemia. Henceforth, I'll try to shorten subclinical hypocalcemia to SCH. The objective of this study was to assess the association of early postpartum calcium status groups, classified as normal calcemic, transient subclinical hypocalcemia, persistent subclinical hypocalcemia, or delayed subclinical hypocalcemia, with early lactational disease diagnosis, culling, and milk yield. The secondary objective of this study was to assess changes in blood BHB and plasma fatty acid concentrations in the first 10 days in milk between the cows in different early postpartum calcium status groups. Going forward from here, I'm going to try to shorten subclinical hypocalcemia because it's tripped me up a lot already while I was trying to record for you guys. I'm going to try to refer to it as SCH, SCH. So if you hear me say that, that's subclinical hypocalcemia. So a little bit of interesting background information. First, NRC in 2001 set the daily calcium requirements for maintenance in the mature cow at 21 grams of calcium. But Goff in 2014 found that this requirement triples at a 50-pound milk production to 76 grams of calcium. If you combine this with the decrease in intakes of around 30% during the transition period, 
you're setting yourself up for metabolic problems often seen during this time period. While this is an issue, Goff in 2014 also found that less than 5% of cows suffer from subclinical hypocalcemia, meaning that many cows fail to show clinical signs of calcium shortage and instead suffer from this SCH at a varying level. Now, Etzel in 2004 and Martinez in 2012 showed that blood calcium levels reach their nadar at 24 hours post-calving. What studies have been unable to define to this point is what is the true definition of subclinical hypocalcemia and what day in milk does this definition apply to? Given the variability in blood calcium level thresholds in these studies, as well as the variability in days in milk at testing, this has led to an inconsistency between trials. Specifically, some trials have drawn blood at 12 hours or less and this may not be a good indicator of increased disease risk given that 24-hour NADAR. Now, Kiexa in 2017 and Avriz in 2018 showed that this NADAR does not actually determine a cow's increased risk for disease or determine their milk production, but instead it is the persistency of subclinical hypocalcemia that is associated with these adverse events. Looking into previous studies, SCH effects on cattle have been well documented. The previously mentioned CAXA 2017 study that showed that low calcium levels or less than or equal to 2.5 millimoles per liter at days 1, 2, or 3 in milk had a 70% decreased chance of pregnancy at first conception. Now, Naviz in 2018 added that first lactation cows with reduced total calcium concentration at one day in milk, had substantially greater milk yields over the first 15 weeks of milk, while mature cows with decreased day four total calcium concentrations had reduced milk yields. Finally, Kexia also found that the longer SCH persisted, the more increased the disease risk. This finding compounded with Navri's findings began to set the basis of the impact of persistency versus nadar on these cows and serves as the foundation for this study of the investigation of days in milk and SCH duration and its effect on production and disease events. Finally, research by Martinez in 2012, Rodriguez in 2017, and Vinjak in 2018 all reinforce this finding that animals with SCH hold increased risk for subsequent health and disease events. So what did the authors do? What was their method? The working hypothesis from the authors in the study was that transient subclinical hypocalcemia is the physiologic expression of a sudden calcium deficit and persistent or delayed type SCH are evidence of a maladaption in the calcium homeostatic system such that cows with this persistent or delayed type subclinical hypocalcemia are more likely to develop subsequent early lactation diseases, be removed from the farm, and have reduced milk yield compared with normal calcemic or transient SCH cows. So this study was formulated with 433 cows, 263 were multiparous, and 144 were primiparous. 
The cows were spread over two dairies with one practicing a negative decad and one practicing a positive decad. The authors then elected to draw blood samples two weeks pre-fresh, one week pre-fresh, and at days one, two, three, four, five, seven, and 10 in milk. BHBA was drawn at, at the similar intervals, except for they did not draw BHBA at day one and day two in milk. Disease and culling events were dairy-defined and pulled from Dairy Comp 305. Diseases were tracked, and the specific diseases that were tracked were hyperketonemia, ketosis, metritis, and DA. Milk yields were tracked weekly for the first 10 weeks of lactation. For more information on this data set, there's that Navarese study from 2018, which is referenced in the article and can be found through the link in the show notes. The authors selected to break down the subclinical hypocalcemic groups, these SCH groups, into four types. Normal calcium for lactation one was defined as calcium greater than 2.15 millimoles per liter on day one and day two. In lactation greater than one, this was defined as calcium greater than 1.77 at day one and greater than 2.2 at day four. Transient subclinical hypocalcemia in lactation one was defined as a calcium value less than or equal to 2.15 millimoles per liter at day one and greater than 2.15. Subsequently, mature animals with transient subclinical hypocalcemia were less than 1.77 millimoles per liter of calcium on day one and greater than 2.2 at day four. Persistent type subclinical hypocalcemia in lactation one was defined as less than 2.15 millimoles on day one and less than 2.15 on day two. Similarly, mature cows were less than 1.77 at day one and less than 1.77 at day four. And finally, delayed type subclinical hypocalcemic cows were animals that were in lactation one greater than 2.15 millimoles per liter of calcium on day one and less than 2.15 millimoles at day two. In mature cows, they were greater than 1.77 at day one and less than 1.77 at day four. So what did the authors find? McGarten and Vries found some really great findings. First, they were able to classify a breakdown of normal, transient, persistent, and delayed type subclinical hypocalcemia, which has never been noted or investigated in a previous study. The breakdown, for those of you wondering, looks like this. Normal calcemic cows represent about 40 to 45% of the animals. Transient subclinical hypocalcemic cows represent about 20% of the animals. And then there's a difference between lactation one and mature cows. In the persistent SCH category, lactation one animals represent about 23%, whereas lactation greater than one represent about 13%. Now delayed type subclinical hypocalcemia Lactation 1 animals represent about 13%, and lactation greater than 1 represent about 25%. So you can see they kind of switch in their prevalence. This gives us an idea of the prevalence of each different category. Next, the authors also found some statistically significant findings related to disease removal and milk production. They found that primiparous cows with persistent or delayed type SCH were 4.1% and 3.2 times respectively more likely to have a disease or removal event less than 60 days in milk. Similarly, multi-paris cows were 1.8 
and 1.9 times respectively more likely to suffer from a disease or removal event as well. They also found that primparous cows experiencing transient SCH produced 2.5 pigs or 5.5 pounds more milk per day than normal calcemic cows and that no difference existed in production between the other calcium groups. Multiparous cows, on the other hand, experiencing this transient SCH produce 5.5 pigs more or 12 pounds more per day than normal calcemic cows and delayed type SCH cows. However, no difference was seen between transient and persistent calcium groups in terms of production. Beyond this, key health differences were also noted. And it's important to note, and I'll mention at this point and probably again in the future, that while this study was not designed to convey statistical power to transition cow health events such as metritis, ketosis, or DAs, or even the risk of removal, it did show numerical differences in disease incidence. In primiparous cows, significant disease and removal elevations were seen in persistent and delayed type SCH cows in the areas of ketosis and metritis. These differences were between 1.5 and 8 times, depending on the SCH classification and disease type. Multiparous dams also showed similar increases in these disease conditions to a lesser degree, but they had an increased displaced abomasum risk over the normal calcemic cows. Finally, transient SCH multiparous cows did display elevated ketosis incidence well over normal calcemic cows. Overall, this resulted in a three to four time increase in lactation one cows suffering a disease or removal event if they were persistent or delayed type. The authors also found a two times increase in disease and removal risk in lactation greater than one cows in these same persistent and delayed type cows. So what did the authors conclude? The authors concluded that cows differ in the dynamics of plasma total calcium concentration change in the early postpartum period, and that these differences are associated with the risk of disease or removal event diagnosis in the first 60 days in milk and average daily milk yield over the first 10 weeks of lactation. They also concluded that cows with transient SCH have a smooth transition into lactation and make more milk than normal calcemic cows. Finally, they concluded that cows with persistent SCH or delayed SCH, regardless of parity groups, are at an increased risk for early lactation disease or removal events, and thus represent cohorts of cows in which the early lactation change in total calcium concentrations indicate a suboptimal adaptation to lactation. So what are my thoughts on this article, OTRs? Well, while previous studies have noted the negative impacts of extended SCH periods, no single study has ever broken down these SCH classifications into rankings like this one. By allowing us to look at the four different SCH groups, normal calcemic, transient, persistent, and delayed type SCH, we can evaluate the type of SCH most responsible for disease or problems. I think these researchers summed up the importance of this new classification system compared to their contemporaries' research very nicely in their paper when they said, although insightful for other reasons, these study designs 
do not provide an understanding of the direction of blood calcium concentration change in early lactation, nor the time spent in a hypocalcemic state, end quote. This was due to the fact that many of these studies drew blood at 12 hours or less fresh, too early to detect the later onset of delayed or persistent onset subclinical hypocalcemia. And this caused a misidentification of SCH in all of these cows. This meant that transient cows or cows that were adapting well and would go on to produce more and have potentially less health events were bolstering the production and health statistics of the more problematic, delayed, and persistent type SCH cows. Nowhere is this more evident than the disease data, which says that these animals were four times more likely to be removed in lactation 1 and two times more likely to be removed in lactation greater than 1. This aligns with a 2012 Martinez article that shows that cows that develop metritis averaged SCH until day 4 in milk, again aligning with the findings from this study for delayed and persistent type SCH cows. Before we move on, I think it's important to note that transient SCH cows did not escape totally unharmed from disease perspective. They were more likely to develop later ketosis events around days 7 to 10. And this was not as concerning because McCart in 2012 found reduced risk factors for cows that had ketosis outside of the first week of lactation. And while this could not be properly investigated in this study, again, because of the power, the author proposed that the increase in ketosis was due to the rapid onset of increased milk production in these cattle and the animal's inability to keep up metabolically versus the lower production demands on the normal, delayed, and persistent SCH cows. Taking this idea full circle, we need to consider that transient SCH cows actually produce more milk than any of the other subgroups. In fact, 3.4 more pigs per day for lactation 1 and 4.5 pigs per day for mature cows, suggesting that these transient SCH cows and the factor of transient SCH is an indicator of high milk producers with a well-adapted metabolic system rather than a cow with a calcium metabolic problem or calcium metabolism dysfunction. It's just a simple natural response of a body waiting for parathyroid hormone to catch up with calcium demand. In short, not all hypocalcemia is bad, but all delayed and persistent hypocalcemia is. If nothing else in this article stirs you to action, this should. It should have you considering the merits of calcium boluses in all cows, as well as the potential for a targeted treatment system. Modern research suggests that cattle that could be targeted would be lame cows, long days dry, heavy body condition, or in that top 10% of herd ME. While not backed by this article specifically, the natural progression of this research suggests that identifying and confirming or refuting this recommendation could be a next step. While modern research has all little ways or maybe even a long ways to go in terms of a rapid cost-effective cow side calcium test, there still remains the prospect of 
how preventive treatment with at-risk cows can be applied and more strategically enforced. Diagnostically, the detection of subpopulations of cattle who are low or continue to be low at that day two in lactation one or day four in lactation greater than one might serve a field practitioner more readily than that first day fresh calcium when creating or evaluating a transition cow calcium management plan. It appears that these subgroups of cows are the real problem children of SCH. The knowledge that these subgroups now exist will allow the formation and future analysis of trials to ID and monitor common risk factors for persistent and delayed type SCH. Additionally, research will need to be done on the need and impact of preventative oral calcium on these specific SCH subgroups. These authors summarize the context of their findings very well in this quote. Our research suggests that both primiparous and multiparous cows with transient SCH are adapting well to the demands of early lactation. Primiparous cows with transient SCH are no more likely to have a disease or removal event in early lactation than normal calcemic cows, and both primiparous and multiparous transient SCH cows produced substantially more milk. Although it is plausible to hypothesize that these cows are producing a rigorous metabolic and hormonal response to changing mineral and energy requirements, this has yet to be proven. Similarly, we do not know what causes some cows to have persistent hypocalcemia when others rebound quickly, nor do we know why some cows are normal calcemic immediately after calving and then subsequently become hypocalcemic. These topics must be further explored to better understand the dynamics of calcium regulation and its effect on disease and production in early lactation cows. There's much work to be done here still, OTRs, but there are exciting new findings in placing the context long-standing and rapidly evolving hypocalcemic research. It's my hope that you can use this information to educate your producers or to facilitate a discussion about treatment or prevention of hypocalcemia in their herds. As this research evolves, obviously we'll get more and more tools. But the continued education through articles like this will create new material for you to help facilitate these discussions with your producers. Well, that's all I have time for today, OTRs. I hope you enjoyed the article. I'd love to hear if you apply it in your dairies or in your operations. So please join the OTO group at otovets.com forward slash Facebook. Share your experiences on this article. Share your discussions with your producers. Until next time, OTRs, carry on. If you like this content and want more, you can stop by the operator's owner's website at otovets.com. There you can sign up for our community at otovets.com forward slash Facebook. You can also consume some of our original content at the blog at otovets.com forward slash blog. Thank you for joining us today and we'll catch you next time OTRs.